What a joy it is to welcome you again to our morning service. This is a time when we draw near to the Lord. This is a time when we find in our God the refreshing, the help, the wisdom, the instruction, the encouragement, the blessing that we so desperately need to carry on in life. Amen. We come to an all-sufficient God, a great God who is worthy of our praise and our love. So may this be a time of refreshing and blessing in the very presence of the living God. Our verse through all of the COVID situation has been, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. God is still seeking to get our attention. God has blessed us marvelously through this time. But God is still speaking. There's much work to do. So I trust that in this hour we shall draw near to him and we shall find in him all that we need. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 for our Bible reading. So if you would, follow along with me as I read uh, this important passage by the Apostle Paul. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, clay pots, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our mortal flesh. So then, death worketh in us, but life in you. We have the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. May God bless the reading of his word. 
I'm very much getting excited about our Easter Sunday services. And may I say you should be free to invite your friends and relatives, your in-laws, your outlaws, whoever you've got in the family, if you want to invite them to join us for our services on our service. Really, we're having one service on Easter Sunday. So it's going to be a tremendous opportunity for the gospel. And I'm excited for the first time. Uh, Morris Gleiser, Evangelist Morris Gleiser, is going to be ministering to us. It's very, very interesting. I'm, I'm thinking about getting back to, to church, and it means we're going to have to get up and get dressed. Uh, the Church of the Pajamas is going to have to become <laughs> a church of a little more formal address, if you please. And, and uh, it, we're going to have to drive in. We don't just turn on, turn on the TV. But we're going to have to get in our cars and, and drive in and park, and, and the convenience is going to go away. And uh, I'm, I'm saying this in the, in the light of the message for, for the morning. Uh, it's very interesting to me that, that to us, now let me pause here for just a moment. To us, to us the practice of our Christianity is, is largely, now hear me, ooh, wow, is largely a, largely a matter of convenience. To the Apostle Paul, it was a matter of life and death. It was a totally different proposition. And when we take a look at the message that we have today in the outlines, and I hope that you've got your outline in front of you, whether by way of your cell phone or by way of a printed copy off of the internet, I want to, we're going to notice we're going to notice the cost of genuine ministry. Genuine ministry has a cost. The worship of God has a cost. And it is very, very important that we don't become soft. Um, to the prophet, it was said, if, if, if you, if, if you uh, can't make it in the land of ease, how in the world are you going to make it when things get rough? Mm -hmm. And it's so important now that we change gears in our thinking. There's going to be an adjustment in our thinking, adjustment in our practices. Uh, it's going to be a major adjustment in life, but with tremendous, with tremendous blessings as, uh, that which result from this. Uh, one of my favorite verses in the, in the New Testament is found in our text that we're studying today in our, in our Bible study. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, furthermore, Paul writing here, when I came to Troas to preach the, God, the Christ gospel and a door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Now, there is, there is a body of water between Troas and Macedonia. That's where Philippi is. And, we're, and so uh, Paul went from thence into Macedonia. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place, for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are a savor of death unto death, to the other a savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Now you'll notice in the first two verses, verses 12 and 13, there is something problematic going on. In fact, it is a deep, very troubling promise, uh, problem. 
there is a potential for a disaster of enormous consequences. Paul is arriving probably on a second missionary journey at Troas, and things are opening up there for, for church planning and for, for preaching of the word of God. He says, a door was opened to me of the Lord. A door for ministry was there. Opportunity and blessing were there. But there was a deep overriding concern. He, he says, I found no rest. I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother. Now, why did he want, expect to find Titus there? And what was going on? And we, uh, I'm going to quote in a little bit at the bottom of your notes there. There's a quote from Coneyberry and Housing. Coneyberry, by the way, has, has, has the finest work on the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. And he just puts together little pieces of information from all of Paul's epistles uh, that tell us exactly, tell us quite, uh, quite, quite in detail what was going on. But Titus wasn't there. He expected him to be there. And when Titus wasn't there, on the east at Troas, he went west across the waters into Macedonia, where there's Philippi, Thessalonica, Thessalonica and Berea, and Corinth. And, and uh, there, evidently, something changed because he bursts out in praise to God in verse number 14. Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. So there's a deep overriding concern. Now, when I read through this, and I read through the information, Coneyberry and Housen, and when I just looked through the scriptures, I said to myself, here I see, and, and you remember in Philippians, Paul said, you always rejoice, always give thanks. Am I right about that? Mm -hmm. and, and he's in jail writing that. But it seems at this one time, it seemed that Paul panicked almost. Paul was in a panic. Um, and he didn't, he didn't lose his touch with God. He didn't lose his prayer life with God. But he left a good situation and opportune because Titus didn't show up. And Titus was supposed to be there. Titus had been in Corinth. We'll find that out shortly. Titus had been in Corinth. And either something bad was going on in Corinth or something bad had happened to Titus. These were dangerous days. If you were a missionary in those days, you didn't have the protections that, that missionaries have now. You didn't have them. You went at your own risk, uh, whether, it was, uh, whether it was being shipwrecked, whether it was being uh, accosted by robbers, whether there were mobs of Jews that had, that had risen up to stone you. I mean, there were dangers all over. Listen. Getting back to East church on Easter Sunday, if you think COVID's a big, big thing to walk over, you, 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 need, you need to think carefully. The work of God is never built on people doing what's convenient. Right. Never. It never has been and it never will be. It's not as easy as turning on a TV set on Sunday morning. It just is not. It's not that way. Now, just a chapter back in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, he, he uh, mentions, uh, maybe not the specific, or, or well, what this would be included in all of this, but he said, we do not want you to be unaware, aware, brethren, of our affliction. Now, the word affliction there is a word which means pressures, which means pressures. I never think of this word, this Greek word affliction, this word pressure, 
without thinking of, of an apple cider press. I don't know if you know how you get apple cider. Now they have these new big hydraulic presses uh, where they put the apples in it, squeeze all the juice out. Well, that's affliction. And actually, the original apple presses were, were wooden, were wooden uh, uh, baskets or, or barrels, and then they had a, a, a thing at the flat thing at the top with a screw, and you screwed the thing down, and you kept, and the pressure went down, and the juice squeezed out. Uh, and that's sometimes how we feel when we're under affliction. <laughs> we feel like all the juice has been squeezed out of us. Mm -hmm. So he says, I don't want you to be unaware of our affliction which came to us in Asia. Notice we were burdened, and there are three descriptions here. We were burdened excessively beyond our strength. Now what does that mean? That means the dangers and burdens were overwhelming. They were beyond human strength. And to the extent, number two, that we despaired even of life. It was life and death. When, 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 when Titus did not show up, and we'll get to this shortly, but when Titus did not show up, Paul, Paul was thinking something very, very serious is wrong. Either, either Titus is dead, and he had no way to know, or something in the Corinthian church was terribly wrong and bad, he had no idea what he was looking at. He despaired even of life. And indeed, number three, this, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. Now notice, now notice he comes to divine purpose so that we would not trust in ourselves. It is amazing to me what God has to do to teach us that we can't trust in ourselves. We are so self-sufficient. But in God who raises the dead. Now, it's just not God who fixes difficult circumstances. But God who can take something that is completely lost beyond all hope. And he can resurrect it to life. That's the kind of faith he's talking about. Notice who delivered us from so, so great a peril of death. And will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope. And he will yet deliver us. I read this and I say, I say, we, we, the, the, the situation in which we're ministering in these days is a cakewalk. It's a cakewalk compared to what, what Paul was dealing with here. Can we trust God to get us back together as a congregation? Oh my. If he can raise the dead, he can raise us up and he can protect us by his mighty power. And if he can't, we are worshiping the wrong God. We're worshiping the wrong God. <clears throat> now, Coney Berrienhausen, and we'll read this quote here, the real weight which pressed upon him was the care of all the churches. The real cause of his grief was the danger which now threatened the souls of his converts, not in Corinth only or in Galatia, but everywhere throughout the empire. We've already described the nature of this danger and seen its magnitude, and we see how critical was the period through which the Christian church was now passing. The true question which, uh, question which St. Paul was enlightened to comprehend was no less than this. Whether the Catholic Church, and that's not the Roman Catholic Church, that, that's the church at large, should be dwarfed into a Jewish sect, whether the religion of spirit of truth should be supplanted by the worship of letter and of form. The struggle at Corinth and the result of which he is now anxiously awaiting was only one out of many similar struggles between Judaism and Christianity. These were the Fightings without which filled him with 
fears within. These were the agitations which gave his flesh no rest and troubled him on every side. At length, the long-expected Titus arrived at Philippi and relieved the anxiety of his master by better tidings than he had hoped to hear. The majority of the Corinthian church had submitted to the injunctions of St. Paul, that's in, in his first letter, 1 Corinthians, and testified of the deepest repentance for the sins into which they had fallen. So, when Paul arrives in Philippi, then, then Titus shows up there, and he is relieved. Uh, and like, uh, like uh, the dear lady, she said, you know, I know that it pays to worry because 90% of the things about which I worry never happen. <laughs> well, Paul, I don't know that Paul was worried in that sense. Paul knew that he could trust God. But in the mind of the Apostle Paul, now hear me, hear me. When Paul left Troas and went across the water by, by boat to Philippi, he went because, again, he didn't know whether, whether Titus was dead or alive. He did not know what to expect. He had no idea. He didn't know if, if over two years of work at Corinth had just gone down the drain and the whole thing was lost. Now, how do you carry on in Christian work when things go bad? What do you do? Or when they possibly go bad. You have so much invested. Maybe in situations in your own personal life or your family or your work life. What do you do? What do you do? And Paul said there's one thing about God. Now hear me please. I hope you're awake. There's one thing about God. He is always true to himself. And when we get done with this message, we're going to sing that chorus, He cannot fail because He's God. God cannot lose anything. God is not a loser. So, Paul meets Titus with great relief, and not only just seeing Titus, I can imagine I can see him running and yelling, Titus and, and embracing each other. They're, they're embracing each other. And, and, and as they embrace each other, I, I, I think that embrace was probably five minutes. It, it, it just, he, was, he was just so full of joy that Titus was safe. Titus was alive. Titus was there. He was on his way back to Troas. He hadn't had chance to get there yet. He was late, but, but uh, he had been delayed. And then the good news of the repentance of the church in Corinth and how the, the church had made the right choices and they were going to continue on in the grace of God. Uh, what, what a relief and what a joy, but it could have all been lost. He had no idea what he was looking at. No idea what he was looking at. So let's take a look carefully at the wording of the next verse. Verse number 14 because we are going to see a powerful divine intervention. Now, had God not, by his Holy Spirit, intervened in Corinth, now hear me, had God not, in a powerful, personal way, intervened in Corinth, that situation would have been totally lost. It would have been totally lost. Nothing would have been saved. 
And I'm sure that God protected even Titus on his journey toward the Apostle Paul, toward, toward on his way to Troas, as he was. You'll notice he says here, he bursts out and thanks and prays to God, thanks be to God. Notice the second word after that, who always. I want you to underline that word. Who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Let me pause here a moment. When we do the will of God, the hand of God's protection in the right measure at the right time is always on us to do his will. We're going back to church on Easter Sunday. We have sought the Lord's face in this. God is with us. And God is not going to fail us. He's not going to fail us. He always leads us on in triumph in Christ. And then, through the difficulty, and it, if, there's no triumph if there's not a battle. <laughs> if it's easy, there's no triumph. You don't celebrate anything. When you go to the grocery store and get home, you say, Thank God I got home alive! No, you don't do that. That's a given. That's a given. You do something that is of risk, something that you know God wants you to do, but if you do it, there's a danger in doing it. And, and when you get through it, like our church, we've been through this last year, and not a single one, not a single one has gotten the COVID through our, in, in the life and ministry of our church. Not a single one. So you, 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 you take all of this and you say, thank God for that. Thank God for that. That's a triumph. And through this, through this struggle, and then the triumph that follows, God manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. It becomes a public testimony that comes out of this whole thing. Now you will notice in my notes, the first bullet says it's an experience with no exception. God never loses. I will never forget planting a church in Morganton, North Carolina. <laughs> and, and, and if you think I make a lot of mistakes in ministry now, you should, should have seen me then. Uh, as, as a young preacher just starting out. And, and we, we went to, to a town, didn't know anybody, and planted a church there. God sent us there. A church was planted there. But all oh, the things that can happen just to tear everything up, you, you can lose everything in just five minutes' time. The whole thing can blow up in your face. And it almost did. But to see the hand of God move in and prevent that from happening, wow. Wow. When that is done, everybody sees that. Listen, when we get done with this, we get done with Easter Sunday... Our people and the, and the public around us is going to see the hand of God. Mm-hmm. That's the way it's supposed to be. They're going to see the hand of God, and I'm praying for this. I'm praying for public testimony out of this. And a testimony among God's people that will strengthen our faith as, as individuals and as a church. He always leads us on in triumph in Christ. It's an experience with no exception. Get that. Always. When you walk in the will of God, God has to, God has to take care of that which he orders. God provides what he orders with, without fail. 
God cannot fail to take care of those who do His will and watch over them. Now, there's no exception. Then, the next point is the procession. Now, what in the world is the procession? We're talking about something here that is totally foreign. It's totally different than anything that we, any of us here have experienced. In those days, a war was fought, and somebody won and somebody lost. And the winning general would, would take captive, just a group of captives, just so that he could cock, uh, walk like a, strut around like, like a, like a, whatever, you know, he wanted to strut and leave all, lead all of these captives in profession, procession through the town to prove how great he was. And he wanted to make a big deal of it. And, and they, they would have these pots of incense and part of the parade. And, and, and then at the end of the procession, and we'll read about this, certain ones in the procession would die. They'd, they'd, be, they'd be killed. But certain ones got to live. And I don't know how they determined that. But the word lead us on in triumph is the, is the Greek word which means to celebrate a triumph, lead in a triumphal procession. And it, de it deals with God's enabling believers to overcome and uh, to be victorious. And it means to lead us in a triumphal procession publicly, publicly declaring the praise of his name and the victory that God wins. Coneybury and Housing say the verb here means to lead a man as a captive in a triumphal procession. The full phrase means to lead captive in a triumph over the enemies of Christ. The metaphor is taken from the triumphal procession of a victorious general. God is celebrating his triumph over his enemies. St. Paul, who had been so great an opponent of the gospel, is a captive following in the train of the triumphal procession. Yet at the same time, by characteristic change of metaphor, an incense bearer scattering incense, which is always done on these occasions as the procession moves on. Some of the conquered enemies were put to death when the procession reached the capital. To them, the smell of the incense was an odor of death unto death. To the rest who were spared, it was an odor of life unto life. It was the same incense being spread, but it had a totally different significance. Part of that procession, it meant you're going to die. Part of it, it meant you're going to live. The same incense and the same odor. And we'll see what that means in the next verse. So, there was a procession which became a public proclamation. He makes known the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. English Standard Version says, through us he spreads, through us as Christians, God spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of himself everywhere. So, uh, this, this is a very picturesque, very picturesque statement. Making Christ known should be the goal of every dynamic of our life and ministry and of all of our life's experiences. To cause to be shown and seen the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Now Paul explains this in verse number 15. We are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one an aroma from death to death, to the other an aroma of life to life. And then he asks this question, who is adequate for these things? 
So number one, he tells us that we are a fragrance of Christ, which means we are the means of diffusing the knowledge of God everywhere. Nicole says the influence of the lives of the saints is sweet and penetrative like that of incense. It's meant to be that. Our attitudes, our words, our demeanor, our actions are to be a fragrance of Christ, a means of diffusing the knowledge of the Christ who lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, we're living, we're living in, a, in a very real world. And, and uh, if, you're, if you're in the workday world and someone finds out you're a Christian, some of them are very happy. And some of them become very upset. It's the same life. It's the same expression. It's the same demeanor. It's the same vocabulary. It's the same ethic. It's the same way of doing business. But some love you for it and some hate you for it. It's an incense that affects people in different ways. And you don't have any control over the response that you get. There's no way. You can say, you've got to accept me. No, no, no. You can't do that. There's no way. The response is dictated by the heart condition of the one that smells the savor, if you please. We are a fragrance of Christ to God. The same message then has dramatically different implications to those who hear it. And it will be true of what I'm saying today. I, I, I can't help how you respond to this. If, if you get angry and upset, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. You may be blessed by this and thank the Lord for that. That, that delights my heart. But I, I don't have control over that. I do have control, though, <laughs> over being a sweet-smelling aroma of Christ. That I can be. That's my choice. And I choose to do that. You know, the problem we have in America today is not so much a political one as it is a spiritual one. And the real problem we have with the progressives of the day is they hate God and His Word. And if you love God and His Word, you're in trouble with these people. This is an amazing phenomenon in the day in which we are living. So the same fragrance has two implications. To the saved, to those who are saved, it's sweet. It assures of the help and blessing of God. To the lost, it stigmatizes with the prospect of death and judgment. Notice in John 3, verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Now that's amazing. It's the same message. It's the same Christ. It's the same salvation that is offered. But you have those that believe and you have those that will not believe. They choose not to. They make a choice not to believe. That, that means not to obey. They will not be persuaded. And that's a moral choice that men make. I hope that you have made the right moral choice. You see, getting to heaven is not a matter of being good. It's a matter of having Christ. It's a matter of accepting God's salvation, His gift of salvation. It's a free gift. You can't work for it. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. Notice, notice he who believes on the Son. John says it differently in 1 John 5. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. But that is a moral choice that you must make. Oh, listen, the door is wide open if you just walk through it. 
and just receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior today. Just open your heart and life and, 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 and invite Him to come in to save you from your sin, to come into your life to be your Savior. That's what you need to do. So, so we, we give a message out, and, and, and the difficulty we have is we, we can't force people to accept Christ. To those who receive Him, our, our message is a message of life. To those who don't receive Him, our message is a message of death and judgment and hell. Not because they don't have access, equal access, free access to eternal life, but because they make a moral choice that Jesus Christ will not be their Savior. That's a serious matter. And we bear this message, and where we bear it, men and women are responsible for what they do with it. And Paul says, who in the world is, is, is adequate to this kind of a situation? And the answer, of course, is no one. Now, um, we'll get, get to that in just one moment. The gospel and those who proclaim it, top of page 3 in your notes, is pleasing to, are pleasing to God whether men receive it and are saved or reject it and are lost. Jesus, uh, John explains in John 3.19, this is the judgment that light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. This is why people, this is why people will not receive Christ. This is a moral, moral choice. The rejection of God's word is not a scientific necessity. It's a moral necessity. Or not a moral necessity, but it's a moral consideration. So, when you get to the bottom line of this thing, men love the darkness. That's a moral matter. The, the, the debate between evolution and creation is not a scientific debate. It's a moral debate. It is on the bottom line, it's a moral debate. You study the science, and there's more science, I think, that gives you a reason to believe in creation than to believe in evolution. Evolution is a total impossibility. You have to have an adequate first cause. Without God, you have nothing except a dilemma that nobody can solve. So Paul says, who's adequate for these things? And, and he gives a wonderful explanation here. Not that we're adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. And that is comforting. Our adequacy is from God. Paul says in our preaching, as we present this message, we are not like many who peddle the word of God, but as from sincerity, from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. We do not corrupt the word of God, peddle the word of God. The word means a huckster or peddler, common to all, in, in, all, in all stages of Greek for huckstering or trading. It's curious how hucksters were suspected of corrupting by putting the best fruit on the top of the basket so you wouldn't know what was in there. And Paul said, we're not that way. We're, we're not peddling a message. We, we are not mercenaries that are making money by selling something to get sordid gain by dealing in anything, Thayer says, to do a thing for base gain. Paul says they treat the gospel like merchandise. But he said, out of integrity, that is sincerity. Out of integrity, out of integrity we speak. Out of God, in the sight of God, and in Christ, we 
are speaking our message. Tremendous, tremendous verse of Scripture. Thanks be unto God, who always leads us on in triumph in Christ, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. Now, Paul goes on and just, he goes on with this same theme for the next three chapters or four chapters. In chapter three, he talks about the ministry. Uh, and in verse seven there, the ministry of death, he talks about. He talks about how the Spirit gives life and how we have great boldness because this is a supernatural message which transforms the life. It, it, the glory far exceeds and surpasses the glory of the old law. In chapter four, we don't lose heart because of the kind of ministry to which God has called us. Uh, in verse number 7, we have a treasure in clay pots, earth vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. And uh, then uh, in chapter 5, we're always of good courage. While we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. And uh, we, we know the fear of the Lord. We persuade men. We're manifest to God and in their conscience. And if any man's in Christ a new creature, what a message. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And we are ambassadors for Christ. And then in chapter number 6, he talks about the kind of ministry we have, beginning with verse 6, in purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, in the Holy Spirit, genuine love, the word of truth, the power of God, weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. By glory and dishonor, evil report, good report, regarded as deceivers, yet true, unknown, well-known, dying, yet behold, we live. As punished, not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. What a message, what a ministry that we have. But then he talks about the difficulties, and I have put them in... in uh, other type that is that is bold. I think I have, I think I have the trials and the difficulties uh, in in a blue font, if you will. On page number four, he talks about being in verse number eight, being afflicted, not crushed; being perplexed, not despairing; being perse persecuted, not struck, uh, but not forsaken; struck down, not destroyed. What a ministry! Most of us have not experienced this, and yet in ways that are subtle in our life and in our testimony and our workplace and in our neighborhood, we experience some of this. We experience the rejection that comes with the gospel. Verse number 11, he talks about constantly being delivered over to death. In verse 17, he talks about momentary light affliction. Then when you come to chapter 6, in verse number four, he talks about endurance, affliction, hardship, distresses, beatings, imprisonments, tumults, labors, sleeplessness, sleeplessness, and hunger. He talks about all of these things that accompanied his ministry. I'm simply saying today, you and I as believers living in the San Francisco Bay Area, we need to thank God that we have the opportunity of representing Jesus Christ. And as we move ahead through whatever difficulties might lie ahead, our testimony should be, thanks be to God, who always leads us on in triumph in Christ Jesus. And in the process, makes manifest the sweet aroma, the sweet-smelling aroma 
of Christ in every place. This needs to be our goal. It needs to be our joy. Because those who are totally committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ will find themselves triumphing in Christ Jesus. Now, it is a long process. It's a lifetime process. Paul had spent years planting churches. He had spent years in these hardships and difficulties and impossibilities. He had borne the burden of all of these churches, which were young, new churches. No seminary trained men to lead these churches. The men were pulled out of the congregation and taught on the spot, some for just a few months, and then left to tend the saints in those churches. Everything was so tenuous. Everything was subject to harm and difficulty. Maybe that's how you and I feel as we work with new Christians, huh? And and everything was subject just to blow up in a moment of time. And Paul had the care of all of these churches, making sure, trying to strengthen this one here, take care of a problem here, take care of something over here. Now listen, we have just one church. Let's tend to our church. <laughs> let's 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 give the manpower to our church. Let, let's Let's build our church back up again. We've got to rebuild it. It, it. it is not going to take off where we left it. It will not do that. It will not do that. It's up, it's up to us being filled with the Spirit of God to fill the places where workers are needed. It's up to us to take up the mantle and to move on ahead. God's given us a good foundation. We need to build and build and build. And ours should be that testimony. Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus and makes manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. May this, may this, be, may this be a great encouragement to your heart today. We've got work to do. We've got work to do, and we're not going to do it in our pajamas in our living room. <laughs> and I realize that most of you are not in your pajamas. Please, please. Please, please. Uh, but 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 at any rate, I think you I think you understand what I said. I hope you do, and in the spirit in which I I have said it, I'm trying to comfort you, as Isaiah said, comfort my people, and if I can do that, I will do that as best I can. Now, listen, if you do not know the Lord Jesus, right where you are right now, cry out to God, say, Lord Jesus, you are the Son of God. You died for my sins. You rose again. You're the living Savior. I want you to come and live in me, become my Savior and Lord. Save me today from my sins. I receive you as my Savior and Lord forever. And as you do that, he will literally come and live in you in the person of his Holy Spirit. Things will never be the same. They will never be the same. The church cannot do this for you. Religion cannot do this for you. God did not save the church to save men. He sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. It is his Son, Jesus Christ. And you can become one of those who has been saved by the grace of God and has the joy, uh, joyful assurance of salvation in his own heart and mind. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. May it touch our hearts. Write your word today on our hearts and on our minds, we pray. 
Save those gloriously who are calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. Transform their lives wonderfully by your Holy Spirit and give them great joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.